Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this beautiful day that you have blessed us with. Father, you bless us in so many ways. And Father, this morning we're especially thinking about the way you have blessed us with your word. Father, with scripture that's been handed down to us. Father, the way that you have revealed yourself to us. And Father, we thank you that you are a God who is a revealer. Father, because we want to know you. We want to know you, Father, because we want to serve you. And Father, we want to know Jesus because we want to be just like him. Father, we pray that you will help us to strengthen and grow and equip this church so that we can come to know you at a deeper level and so that we can become more like Jesus Christ, so that we can serve each other, so that we can serve the world, and Father, most of all, so we can serve you. Father, we pray this through the name of Jesus, who is the Christ. Amen. So last week we did introduce our 2016 theme. The theme is Equipped to Serve. It's a theme that's inspired by Paul's words in his letter to the church in Ephesus, where he wrote, It was Jesus who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers to equip God's people for works of service so that the whole body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of men in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things Grow up into him who is the head, that is, Christ. From him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. So this year, here at Netherwood, we're going to focus on equipping, and we're going to focus on growing and strengthening and building up the body of Christ that meets here at Netherwood Park. And throughout this year, we're going to continually remind each other that every one of us, every member, every part of this body is important. Every part has a function. Every part has a work. Every part has a ministry. And that ministry and that work and that function is vital to the life and the strength and the health of this body. You are vital to the body of Christ. We're also going to continually remind each other that every one of us, every member, every part of this body is incomplete on its own. We need each other. We depend on each other. We rely on each other for life and strength and health. You see, the body of Christ, the church, is also vital to you. To each and every one of us. And so throughout this year, we're going to grapple together with a big and vital question. And this question is vital because how we answer this question, how we answer this question individually, and how we answer this question as a body, how we answer this question is going to shape our future and it's going to shape our destiny individually and as a body. The big question that we're going to grapple with is, will we individually, will each of us, will each member of this body devote their lives and devote their ministries to building collectively 
a body of Christ, a church, a congregation, a family which looks and acts and sounds like the perfectly mature, the perfectly complete man, Jesus Christ, who is the head of the church. Are we going to do our part to build up, to grow up the body of Christ here at Netherwood Park? You know, in the Lane family right now, we're lucky enough to have a living, breathing example of a growing, strengthening, and maturing body. Our grandson James is three and a half months old, and he is continually changing. He's growing bigger, and he's growing stronger, and he's able to do things this week that he wasn't able to do last week. And one of the most striking things about James right now is how much and how often he eats. It's a nonstop thing. In fact, they've decided his middle name may be, he might be hungry. James, he might be hungry, Lane. See, all that growing and all that developing and all that strengthening takes food. It takes fuel. We know that, don't we? Babies can't grow if they don't eat. We know that bodies can't grow if they don't have fuel. And that's why we're going to spend our time this morning talking about our church body and about how our church body has to have food and has to have fuel. How in order to be equipped, we have to have the word. You see, we can develop the best plans in the world for growing and strengthening the body here at Netherwood Park. We can implement state-of-the-art programs to grow and strengthen the church that meets here. We can bring in world-renowned experts to motivate this body to grow and strengthen itself. We can do all those things, and it will be a complete waste of time. It will be a complete waste of time if we individually and we collectively aren't feeding ourselves with the Word of God. If we aren't being fed by the Word of God. Food is central to growth. Food is central to strength. And our food, as the body of Christ, is Scripture. Our food is the Word of God. Our food comes from the Bible. So in order for us to be equipped as God's servants, to be trained to do God's work, we must know God. We must know our Master. And to know God, we must know His Word. You see, when we consume his word, when we fill ourselves up with his word, when we we fill ourselves up with scripture, we begin to actually know God. We learn what he loves, and we also learn what he hates. We learn what pleases him, and we learn what angers him. We learn about all the mighty deeds that he's done in the past, and we learn about the promises that he's made about the future. See, by consuming, by eating up his word, we're able to walk right along with God and walk right along with God's people. We're able to do that from the very beginning. When we hear his words and when we see his mighty deeds, we know that God is revealing himself to us. It's an amazing thought, isn't it, that our God is revealing himself to us. And that revelation deepens our relationship with him. Scripture really does provide us the nourishment that we need for the body of Christ to grow, for the body of Christ to strengthen, for it to mature. God's word is vital. 
God's word is necessary. It's the food we need to strengthen and grow each part of the body. It's the food that we need to strengthen and grow the entire body. Everything else that we might try to do to strengthen the body, whatever plans and programs we might come up with, they're all destined to fail if the body and its members aren't being fed by God's word. Even bicep man's arms would shrink if he didn't ever eat anything. See, without God's word, we can never hope, never hope to be equipped to serve. Without immersing ourselves, without bathing ourselves, without burying ourselves into God's word, we can't hope to be changed into God's servants, not into the servants that he has called us to be. And there's good news for us. And the good news for us is that when we do enter into God's word, when we do immerse ourselves into his word, we will never emerge out of his word unchanged. Because God's word is powerful. God's word brings about change. There's power in the word. And the power of God's word is why. As you read through his Bible, as you read through scripture, as you see God take his people out of Egypt, as you witness God working to build up a nation out of former slaves, as you see God equipping his chosen people to be a light among the nations, that's why in scripture you hear a constant drumbeat. It's a constant drumbeat about the importance of knowing and remembering the words and the deeds of God. Just listen to Moses. He said, do not forget the things your eyes have seen or let them slip from your heart as long as you live. Teach them to your children and to their children after them. He says, you were shown these things that you might know that the Lord is God. Beside him there is no other. Moses says, keep his decrees and commands which I am giving you so that it may go well with you and your children after you. After you and that you may live long in the land the Lord your God gives you for all time. Maybe most famously, Moses said, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. Then he says, These commandments that I give you today are to be upon your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road and when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads and write them on your door frames of your houses and on your gates. The drumbeat about the importance of God's word. Then we see when God chose Joshua to replace Moses, God made sure that Joshua continued with that same beat when he told him this. He said, Joshua, be strong and courageous, very courageous. He said, be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or the left, that you may be successful wherever you go. He says, do not let this book of the law depart from your mouth. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then as we continue to move through the Bible, we see that beat continue as God always calls his people back. And he calls them back by calling them back to his word. 
calls him back to his decrees. He calls him back to his promises. He calls him back to the mighty deeds that he's done in the past and the promises he's made for the future. But then God's words become a cautionary tale. Or a cautionary tale because we see what happens when a body quits consuming God's words and instead turns to the food of strange gods. We see that in the Israelite people. We see the tragedy that comes when God's words are forgotten. We see the tragedy that occurs when his decrees are put aside. We see the tragedy that occurs when his promises are ignored. We see the tragedy that occurs when his mighty deeds are just relegated to some ancient, dusty history. We see the once mighty nation of Israel. The nation that God himself built up. The nation that God equipped We see Israel, God's chosen people, we see them fractured. We see them defeated. We see them powerless. We see them separated from their God. They're fractured, they're defeated, they're powerless, they're separated because their food, because their nourishment, because their fuel no longer came from their God, came from false and foreign gods. And then as Jesus comes into the world, we read as John opens his gospel account by saying this. He says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning, and through him all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. John's making an announcement. It's an announcement of, a, of the return, the return of the word. This is the moment that all creation has been waiting for. See, this is the appearance of God's word made flesh in Jesus Christ. It's the fulfillment of God's story. It's the appearance of God's decrees in human form. It's the appearance of God's laws in human form. It's the appearance of God's mighty deeds in human form. It's the appearance of God's promises all wrapped up in Jesus Christ. But here we have to be very careful. Because we've made some mistakes in the past. See, it's easy to adopt an attitude that goes something like this when we consider Jesus Christ. It's easy to think, well, now that Jesus has come, we don't need all those words that came before. We don't need all those books that came before. They have no use for us. You know, those 39 books that you find at the beginning of your Bible, those were for a different people at a different time. And that's one of the reasons why Paul, writing before there was even such a thing as a New Testament, that's why Paul writes to Timothy He's writing to Timothy when those books at the beginning of our Bibles were the only scripture that was available to people. It's the only recorded word of God. And that's one of the reasons why Paul writes to Timothy with the reminder that we read earlier out of 2 Timothy chapter 3. He tells Timothy, as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of because you know those from whom you learned it and how from infancy you have known the holy scriptures. And those holy scriptures are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Paul continues and says, all scripture is God-breathed. All scripture is useful for teaching and rebuking and correcting and training in righteousness. 
so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Did you catch that? Paul's saying that all scripture is God-breathed. All scripture brings wisdom. All scripture points to salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. And all scripture has value. Value for equipping us. Value for training us. Value for building us up for the works of service that God has prepared in advance for us to do. Yeah, God's word is powerful. It changes us from what we were into the servants, into the parts of Jesus' body God would have us to be. It's powerful. So I want to give you guys some warnings. I think it's only fair that I give you these warnings. See, if you don't want to be changed, you should just stay away from God's word. If you don't want to grow, you should just stay away from God's word. If you don't want to be equipped as a servant, you should stay away from God's word. If you don't want to be confronted by God's power, you should stay away from his word. But if you do choose to enter into his word, if you do choose to immerse yourself in his word, these are some things that you need to be prepared for. And you need to be prepared for them because God's word is powerful and you need to be prepared for them because if you do enter his word I promise you that these things will happen number one you need to be prepared to be indicted by God's word see when you enter into God's word God will confront you with your guilt you'll be shown where you've missed the mark you'll be shown where you've fallen short but you know what indictments don't change us What changes us is when we respond to the indictment, when we respond to our guilt with sorrow, when we we respond with repentance, when we turn away from what we've done in the past. The second thing that you need to be prepared for as you immerse yourself in God's word, you need to be prepared to be commended. See, God isn't just a God of guilt. He's also a God of praise who takes great delight in the successes of his children. And you know what? Commendations, praise, that doesn't really change us. What changes us is when we respond to God's praise with great gratitude and with great joy. The third thing that you need to be prepared for as you enter into God's word is you need to be prepared to be commanded. I have a problem with being commanded. I have a problem with being told what to do. But when we enter God's word, we have to be prepared to be told what to do. Told what to say. Told how to act. But commands alone, we know, commands alone won't change us. It's only our response to commands that brings change. See, we change into the servants we're called to be when we turn to our God, when we rely on God for the strength that we need in order to follow his commands. When we recognize that we can't do it on our own, we can only do it through the power of God. Fourth thing that you need to be prepared for, if you are going to immerse yourself into God's word, you'll also be confronted by his promises. 
But we also know that we're not changed by promises alone. We're changed by how we receive those promises. We're changed when we're amazed by his grace that he has offered us. We're changed when we respond to his offer of grace with absolute trust that he will keep his promises. And we recognize that God is the promise keeper. Fifth thing that you need to be prepared for if you're going to immerse yourself in God's word, you need to be prepared for the fact that God's going to warn you. God's going to warn us. God's going to tell us what's good for us. He's going to tell us what's bad for us. He will warn us. But we know that warnings alone won't change us. No, we're changed when we become thankful that we have a God who is alive and active and involved and present in our lives. And we have a God who is working to protect us. A God who loves us so much that he wants what is best for us. And finally, the sixth thing that you need to be prepared for if you're going to immerse yourself in God's word is he will reveal to you his attributes. If you immerse yourself in God's word, you'll come to know who he is, who he is in all of his power and all of his glory. But just knowing God's attributes, that doesn't change us. We're changed when we respond to who God is. Respond to who God is in all of his power and glory. We're, we're changed when we respond in worship. So you've been warned. If you don't want to be changed, if you don't want to grow, if you don't want to be equipped as a servant, if you don't want to be confronted by God's power, then by all means stay away from God's word. But if you do want to change, if you do want to grow, if you do want to be equipped as a servant... And if you're ready to be indicted, and if you're ready to be commended and commanded and promised and warned, if you're ready, then I want to invite all of you, I want to, in fact, challenge all of you to make this year, 2016, a year of immersion in God's word. This isn't just for you individually, although you will benefit greatly from doing this, but it's for the body. It's for us. It's for the church. It's so that God can equip us as a body to serve him as he would have us serve him. So today we're going to start a new project here at Netherwood Park. We're going to call this project 6K. This project is geared to a year of immersion in God's word. We're looking forward to a year of feasting on God's food which means that we're also looking forward to a year of change and a year of equipping. So what we're planning on doing in 2016, we're planning on this being a year when we, as the body of Christ at Netherwood Park, will read at least 6,000 books of the Bible. Does that sound like a big number? 6,000 books of the Bible. And here's how we're going to do it. Here's what I'm challenging you to do. I'm challenging at least 50 people here. We have another service too, so don't feel too much pressure. At least 50 people here in the body of Netherwood Park to commit to reading the entire Bible through in the next year. 50 members of this body committing to reading the entire, the entire Bible, all 66 books during this calendar year. 
50 times 66 is equal to 3,300. It's a big step towards 6,000. But that doesn't get us to 6,000 books during this next year. So I also challenge at least another 100 people, 100 additional members of this body to commit to reading the entire New Testament, all 27 books during this calendar year. 100 people times 27 books equals 2,700. We add 3,300 together with 2,700 and we get... 6,000 books of the Bible read by this body in 2016. At least 6,000 books of the Bible. So I want to ask you a question. Do you think we can do that? I didn't get any response. Do you think that we can do that? Of course we can do that. Let me tell you about something that's already going on among us here at Netherwood Park. There are about 30 of us who have already committed to reading the entire Bible in the first 90 days of this year. This started with Curtis Burnett. And we decided if Curtis can do it, any of us can do this. (laughs) So we've committed to reading the entire Bible through in the first 90 days. We've already read Genesis and Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy. That's already been read. It can be done. And see, the people who are doing this aren't some kind of group of super-Christians. They're certainly not some kind of group of super readers. They're just your brothers and sisters who have a desire to be changed and a desire to be equipped by the power of God's word. I also know this about the body here. I know that there are people here who read through the entire Bible each and every year. I know that goes on. And you know how they're able to do that? They're able to do that because they're committed to doing that. And they're also able to do that because they read God's word frequently and consistently and faithfully, usually every single day. It's a challenge that can sound intimidating, I know. 6,000 books of the Bible in 2016. I mean, it's a pretty thick book, right? But we can do this. Some more statistics for you. Did you know that an average reader can read the entire Bible, all 66 books, in one year by just reading for 10 minutes every day, as long as they read it every day. Did you know that an average reader can read through the entire New Testament in a year by devoting just three minutes a day to reading, if they read it every day? And I know we're already a couple of weeks into the new year, so we're going to have to do a little bit of catching up, but we can do that. We have an extra day in February, so that should make a big difference for us this year. See, we can do this. In fact, as I speak these words, as I was preparing this lesson, I have this sneaking suspicion that my faith is kind of weak. And that God is going to show me and God is going to show us that Netherwood Park has a tremendous appetite for his word. That they have a real hunger for his word. And then when we get to the end of the year, I think I'll be wondering and you'll be wondering why I set my sights so low. Just 6,000 books? We can do this. So to make it work, what do we need to do? Well, the first thing that we need to do is we all individually and collectively, we need to pray. We need to pray that God will give us a desire, a hunger for his word. That he'll give us the commitment that we need in order to do this. That he'll give us the strength and consistency that we need to continue to do this throughout the year. So I encourage you, before you make the commitment, I encourage you to pray. 
The next thing that we need to do is that we do need to commit. This will not happen if we don't individually and collectively make a commitment to make it happen. During this next week, I'll send out a news and notes to everybody who's on that list, and I'll be asking you to make a commitment, to respond to that and say, yeah, I'm in. I'm going to read 66 books, or I'm going to read 27 books, or whatever number you choose to do, I'm in. If you don't get Netherwood news and notes, would you just give me a phone call or slip me a note and say, I'm in, I'm committed, so that we can know how many of us have committed to doing this through the next year. So number one, pray. Number two, commit. The third thing that every one of us needs to do if we're going to do this, we need to decide on what plan that we're going to use in order to make it happen. Because it's just not going to happen on itself. There are lots of different plans that you can find out there. There's one on our website. If you go to the homepage and you click on Bible reading plan, this plan that you see in front of you, if you can read it, good for you, I can't. Uh, But you'll be able to read it on the page. It, It gives you a plan to read through the entire Bible in a year by reading a a little bit in different parts of the Bible throughout. It's a a very good plan, but it's not the only plan. You can find any number of plans out there, but find a plan. Also, in that email I'm going to send out, I'll send some links to some different plans, including a link to that 90-day challenge that I'm talking about that some of us have taken on. So if you want to take that on, it will give you a way to read through the Bible in 90 days, the entire Bible in 90 days. So number one, pray. Number two, commit. Number three, decide on your plan and then follow the plan. And the fourth thing that we need to do if we're going to make this happen is we need to be reading, obviously. But not just reading, we need to be talking about what we're reading. This needs to be conversation going on among us in our families, in our small groups, and as a congregation about how we're doing. About what we've read, about how we're being changed, about how we've seen new things in God's word. It needs to be a congregation-wide conversation. And that will help keep us motivated and encouraged and accountable. The fifth thing that we need to do is we need to report what we're doing. So we can follow our progress. We've set up a site, I say we, because I didn't have anything to do with it. Actually, Jim Banks and Camden White set up a place on our website where all of us can go on and we can report weekly about our progress through the Bible. So if you go to our homepage at the very top, it says Bible reading plan. If you will uh, put your cursor on top of that, you'll get a drop down that says Bible reading challenge. And then if you click on that, it will take you to a new screen. We're pretty high tech here, aren't we? I was doing this late last night. I didn't know how to turn out. It looks okay. Project 6K, that screen will come up. That screen will just take you through a few simple questions. It says, did you read the Bible this week? Yes or no? said, are you reading the New Testament or the Old Testament? Just write in there OT or NT so that we'll know what part of the Bible that you're reading in. And then the third one, the most important one, says, how many books did you read? And that's on a weekly basis. How many did you read? Just enter the number in there, and at the bottom, put in your name, even a first name, first and last name, whatever, and then hit submit. And then that will go to a spreadsheet, and every week I'll be able to update us how we're doing as we work towards reading 6,000 books of the Bible in 2016. So, pray. Commit. Decide on your plan. Read. And talk about what you're reading and encourage each other and hold each other accountable. And report what you have read. And the sixth and final thing that you need to be prepared for is be prepared for change. 
Because God's word is powerful. And if we individually and as we as a body, if we immerse ourselves in God's word, we will see change. We'll see growth. We'll see strength. We'll see that we are equipped for every good work of service that God has prepared in advance for us to do. Let's pray together. Father, my prayer is that you will give us a hunger, that you'll give us an appetite for your word. Father, help us to be people who choose to immerse ourselves in your word. Father, we love you and we want to know you and we want to know what you would have us do and be. How would you have us think and act and speak? And Father, we thank you for your word. And Father, I pray that you will help us to to be in prayer as we consider accepting this challenge, devoting ourselves to your word. Father, answer our prayers. And Father, help us be a people who are forever changed by your word. And Father, we pray this through the name of Jesus, your word in the flesh. Amen. So please, prayerfully consider that. Look for updates to come and look for change to come in Netherwood Park. As we end, what we're going to do is we're going to stand up. While we're singing this song about the Bible, I want you to be in prayer about the Bible and about your involvement with the Bible. And if it feels right to you, if you're sure that's what you need to do, if you're ready to make this commitment to take on the challenge, won't you commit to doing so while we're singing this song? Let's stand and let's sing about the Bible.